You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. For some context in the book of Colossians, uh, if you've been here, some of this will be redundant, um, so be patient with us, but the context for the book of Colossians uh, is really important. And so this letter... Uh, the letter to the Colossians was written by a man named Paul. And Paul was an early church planter who was formerly a persecutor and a hater of the way of Jesus. He was attacking and he was trying to destroy the way of Jesus. He had a miraculous encounter with Jesus himself. And that changes everything when that happens. And so he is on a new path where he is planting churches and he is building up uh, the church. And as he is planting churches and as he is traveling, as he was preaching the gospel, the way of Jesus Christ, a man named Epaphras hears this preaching and it changes his life. And he goes back to Colossae and plants a church that becomes strong and it becomes healthy. And when it, is, when it has been an established church, Epaphras, you can read his name, you can read who he is in the first chapter of Colossians, but he goes back to Paul to report that the church is growing and also it has some challenges. And so Epaphras goes back to his church planning father. He goes back to Paul and he, he talks to him about why, about what the Colossians church is going through. And one of the things that they're experiencing is a lot of cultural beliefs and, and misinformation that are swirling about the city of Colossae. So, so they are, they're an established church and you can see, uh, you can see Paul like encouraging them, being very appreciative of their faith, that, it's, that it is strong, but also you see that he's, he's going to warn them. There's, there's some things going around, even in our scripture, you can see it already. He warns about people who claim to have visions of angels, These, this pagan mysticism that believed that you could reach a higher level of visions than others if you were to, if you were to conform yourself to asceticism or severe body discipline. So there's this, there's this idea going around, this pagan mysticism, as well as uh, the, the traditional Judaism. And so this, was some, this is something Paul would be very familiar with. He was a Pharisee. He was a Jew among Jews, is what he calls himself. A, a professional uh, Jew, if you will, uh, a pro- professional religious zealot. And this, was, uh, this is where he came from. But he's claiming Jesus has completed the traditions. So Colossae is in the midst of this mixed cultural moments. And, and this is where we see Paul writing today. Paul is writing to build up to encourage this church uh, today. And I'd have to say that we are in a pretty similar situation now. There are cultural beliefs and there are other, uh, there are other, other truths that are swirling around, a misinformation even, that is swirling around at probably a faster rate than has ever been. You can get news from across, the, from across the world in seconds. And so we, we have misinformation as well that is moving just as fast, if not faster. And so there is, this, there is this work that we need to do of separating what is true from what is false, or really this is the danger today, is separating what is true from what seems to be true. What is true from what, what is claiming to be true. If somebody came up here today and they said, Jesus is back, he's on Newberry Street. He's handing out car keys to Beamers. All you have to do is go worship Jesus on Newberry Street. We would probably laugh a little bit. We might go down there and see what's happening, but we probably won't worship this man who's calling himself Jesus handing out car keys to Beamers, right? We, we would understand this is blatantly false. 
But there are dangers, there are truths that are circulating, there are all kinds of theories that go around that really seem to be true, that really could be true. There's a man named Gary Kasparov. He has this brilliant quote, but this is, uh, he is a chess master as well as an advocate for Russian democracy. And he is currently in exile. Um, but he, he says this about propaganda. He says this about misinformation. He says the point of modern propaganda isn't only to misinform or to push an agenda, right? It's, 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 only, uh, its goal isn't only to convince you about Jesus on Newberry Street. It is also to exhaust your critical thinking, to annihilate truth. You see, we have to do this so much and at such a faster rate now that we can get tired of doing this. And eventually, rather than working through the what is true that seems to be true, no, that's just false. And as we are doing this work again and again and again, as we're doing this work every single time we pick up our phone, every single time that we get onto Instagram or Facebook or whatever it might be, this tires us and it can leave us exhausted. And rather than doing the good work of deciding what is true, what is false, we just stop. Now, church, our job today, and why we gather here, and why we constantly are opening our Bibles, why we are constantly in prayer, is because we need to do church. We need to do this good work of, of not letting the truth be annihilated. I, and we believe, and we know that Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so our job is to never, ever let Jesus be washed away with these other theories and swirling, uh, and these swirling ideas that, that come and go. This is our job today. And so I'm going to pray before we get into this scripture um, that this is God's sermon, this is God's service, uh, and then we'll begin, okay? So let's pray. God, we, we gather before you, um, and we, we love you. You are so good to us. Uh, we, we sing this, these bold words of, of you are more than life to me. God, I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't necessarily feel comfortable singing these words, but as I, as I remember that you gave your life for us, it makes so much sense. God, that you, you are more than, than, the precious, uh, than the precious hold I have on my life. God, you are so much more. So this is all for you. God, I pray that this is all for you. Our worship, our singing, our gathering today, uh, please, this sermon, let this all be for you and your glory. I pray anything that's of, of me, anything that's selfish that is of me, I pray that it just, it just look foolish. I pray that it goes no farther than the front row, uh, but God, anything that you have to say to your people, I pray that it come right from you and that it be something that pierces our hearts, that it rattles around in our minds, and that we couldn't help but leave here forever changed. God, we pray this in your name for your glory. All God's people said, amen, amen. So the form for today, this is how you can keep up with where we are in the sermon. The form for today is expository. What that means is that as the sermon, that the, the scripture that we just read, we're going to go through verse by verse and break this down, okay? So if you're wondering how much sermon we have left, see how much scripture that we just read, and that's how much sermon we have left, all right? You don't have to look at your watch. I've got a different way. I've got a different way for you to tell how long that we're going, okay? So we are gonna go through this verse by verse, starting in verse four through seven. Scripture has, um, before we get into this, scripture has much more important things to say than I do, okay? Like my words are gonna fade away. David has very little, of very little things that are that important to say but the word is of 
infinite importance, okay? It will go much farther than the elevator and much farther than spaces on Newberry Street. So let's read this together. Verses four through seven, it says this, I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Now, verse six has some has an incredibly important uh, part of the of the book of Colossians. You see, in verse six, this is a transition verse for the rest of the book of Colossians. We see this. We see this as it says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, then continue to walk in him. You have received Jesus, continue to walk in him. If you've been here the, the, past, uh, the past Sundays, we've talked about in, in Colossians, how we are established, we are rooted in Jesus, and we grow up in him. We become spiritually mature in him. The first part of Colossians is teaching us, you are rooted, you are established, you are grounded in Jesus. So go walk in him. So this is a transition verse for the rest of Colossians. We're going to see these imperatives that Paul writes where he has positive imperatives. He says, go do these things. They will be good for you. Go do this. Keep doing this. You must go do this. And then there's also negative imperatives where he says, you must refrain from doing this. Go stay away from this. This is dangerous to your spirit. Okay, so we're going to see for the rest of the book, Paul is telling us, these imperatives. This is a transition. Verse six, you were in Christ, so go walk in him. There's this transition that we see right into verse seven. And in verse seven, we see a beautiful, beautiful truth about the gospel. It says, being rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. Now let's talk about gratitude for just a second. I want to keep it simple. I want to keep it simple. We're going to get into new moon and Sabbath and, and circumcision and some complicated things later. So let's keep this simple. Gratitude is what? Gratitude is a response. Something has been done. And so I will show gratitude. Uh, every, every Tuesday night before Young Married House Church, I have this habit where I go to McDonald's. And you can't judge. You're in church, right? So I go to McDonald's every Tuesday nights and I get some McDoubles, I get some McChickens, right? And then you get two six-piece nuggets because it's cheaper than the 10 count, okay? Pro tip, you go get, you, you order the two, you order two six-piece nuggets because it is cheaper than the 10 count. You're welcome. And then as you're standing there, you, you see all of humanity unfold in front of you, right? There's, you see impatience and you see gratitude, you see, you see fighting, you see sin just forefront of, of, uh, as an example, you see people laboring and working, trying to harden the, to provide for themselves, provide for their community, for their families. And then you get your nuggets. And as you get them, you say, thank you, because Christians use manners, right? So we will use our manners. And so you get this bag. And after being served, after receiving the food that I ordered, I'm, I'm grateful. I say, thank you. So, so this, this thanks is a response Okay, and this is the truth. This is the lesson right here. Obedience is a response. As followers of Jesus, our lives are full of gratitude as a reaction to the merciful reconciliation of Jesus. 
I need to say this clearer than I say anything else today, okay? This is, the, this is a profound, profound truth about our faith. If you've been here at Grace City long enough, you've already heard this. I know you have. We do not act in obedience. We do not live lives full of thanksgiving so that we can be saved. No. We live lives of obedience. We live lives of thanksgiving because we have been saved. Do you see the difference? Amen. That is, so we, we live out of this reaction. We live out of this response of thanksgiving and we are obedient. This is a distinctly beautiful Christian belief that because we have been saved, because we have been marked by Jesus, we live in response in obedience. We don't have to worry whether we have done enough. We don't have to, we don't have to toil and toil and never know if we've made it. But instead, we have been saved, and so we respond to that. Our lives respond to that. Dobby the house elf says this. Uh, before, we, before we get there, I want to, uh, I want to, uh, I want to take, give you a moment to, to think about the fact that our, Je- that our Jesus, and Dobby's about to teach this to us as well, but Jesus, he is both Lord and he is good. Like we can, we can look at scripture that objectively tells us Jesus is Lord, right? He was before all things and all th- all, through him, all things were made and without him was not anything made that has been made, right? There's these, there's these scriptures that say he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. There's this objective truth. There's these things that we can see that Jesus is Lord of all, but he is not only Lord of all, he is good, So we follow him, not only because he is great, he is high above all things, we follow him also because he is good. This is what Dobby says here. He says uh, to Harry Potter, upon first meeting Harry Potter, Dobby says this, Dobby has heard of your greatness, sir, but of your goodness, Dobby never knew. He knew Harry was good, or he knew Harry was great, But until meeting him, he didn't know if Harry was good. This is our Lord Jesus. We can see that he's great. We can see that he's powerful, but you can also trust that he's good. Now, why is this important to us right now? Remember, we're about to get into the rest of the book of Colossians, and it's full of imperatives. You must do this. You must do this. You cannot do this. It is dangerous to your spirit. We're about to get into these imperatives, which means it's going to lead us into some difficult, difficult conversations. We're going to get to some difficult topics when we get through the book of of Colossians. So remember here that we don't listen to these imperatives because our God is a sadist. We don't listen to these imperatives because our God is angry with us and he just wants us to conform. We listen to these imperatives because we trust our Lord, because he's good. We listen to these imperatives because it makes sense and it aligns with his character that he would protect us and love us, not harm us. So think about this as we move through the Colossians is that our God is not only Lord, he's not only great, he's also good. Let's keep going. So I I don't have the time to to, to spend uh, too much time um, uh, going further with that. So verses eight through nine, I'm gonna keep us here all day if I don't go. So eight, eight through nine, We read this, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human 
tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ, for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. I've been in Boston. I've been in Boston for about two years. Many of you are here much more seasoned than I am. And one thing is for sure, this, is, this has become more and more apparent to me, is that the people who walk the streets of Boston, they are driven and they are intelligent. The people who walk through the street, streets of Boston, they are here for a degree and an impressive one. Like they're here, they're here to do something with their lives and as well as they are here because they are smart. It's an academic city that is full of, of high intellect, of Ivy League schools. And so the, the people that you will run into are building resumes and they are, they are becoming more and more professionally impressive or they are becoming more knowledgeable and more intellectual as they are here. So look at verse eight with me. It mentions these couple of things. It mentions tradition, it mentions philosophy, and it mentions elements of the world or principles of the world. It mentions tradition, philosophy, principles of the world, and these things bring questions bubbling to the surface. If you spend any sort of amount of time uh, thinking through the faith, thinking through what we are being uh, what you are being taught in class or what you were experiencing while you were at work, these things will bring, will bring questions. Tradition will bring questions. Philosophy will bring questions. Um, principles of the world, as they rub against the way of Jesus, they're going to bring questions rub, uh, bubbling up to the surface. In the past, the church has been uh, guilty of, of silencing these questions at best, they're, they're, they ignore the questions, or at worst, of shaming these doubts and shaming these, uh, these questions. I would like to take a, a different stance. We would love to take a different stance in Boston at Grace City, is, is let's talk about them. All right, let's come together. You can buy me a McDonald's. We'll, we'll talk. We'll sit over at McDonald's, and the, the burger will be bad for our heart. The conversation will be good for our souls, right? So we will go through this, and we will, we will make some good, productive talk, but I will say, Paul warns, is that you will not find the fullness of God here. Human tradition, philosophizing, as you will not find the fullness of God here, we know the fullness of God is where? It's in Christ. The fullness of God is in, is in Jesus. So let's talk about these, these handsome doctors, okay? So there's, three, there's these three handsome doctors, and these, these handsome doctors are in my men's house church, okay? So there's, I, I lead a men's house church, and uh, it's an absolute joy. We come together, we talk about real life, right? Things get, things get hard. It's, we get uh, emotional at times. We don't refrain to delve into difficult conversations, right? We go, we go places that are, uh, that are difficult, so we don't, we don't refrain from that. The fact that they're handsome, that's, that's a moot point. It doesn't really apply to the sermon. But there's these doctors, and they aren't naive, right? That's the last, that's the last, thing, I would, the last thing I would describe my group as, these, these young men, is that they are not naive, but rather they are very sharp, very, very smart. And we came across this recently that has been really helpful for us. Um, and it's in Acts 17. It says this, if you'll, uh, if you'll see it on the screen, as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character 
than those in Thessalonica. Why is that? Since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. You see, I love this verse, especially for my men's group, because it promotes, it, it encourages this discussion of, of our doubts and our questions. And they heard the word from Paul himself. The, the apostle Paul himself told them this word, and yet they still looked through the scriptures for themselves. They, they asked questions, and they engaged in this dialogue, and it says that they were more noble because of it. I love that it encourages this kind of work. So this is the lesson. This is the lesson. As followers of Jesus, we argue, we debate, we reason, we philosophize with one another, but we must do so with our Bibles open and hearts pure and always in love. Right? We'll go to some hard places. We'll talk about some difficult topics, but we will do so with our Bibles open, our hearts pure towards one another, and we will always engage in this in love. So I am not church. I am not asking you to be naive. Right? I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ask you to do that, but I will ask that when these conversations come up, always include Jesus and his words. When these conversations come up, make sure you include Jesus and his words. Let's keep going. Verses 14 and 15. It says this, He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations, amen, that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed, he triumphed over them in him. Now there's this word debt in there. This is verse 14. Verse 14, it says debt. And I want you to make a mental note of that. We'll come back to this at the end, okay? So it says, it says debt. I want you to hold on to that. Let's keep going. Verses 16 and 17. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Now, you may be confused. You read new moon, Sabbath, food and drink, the matter of a festival. What does this mean? Well, we're about to get into some Old Testament talk. And if you're a real Bible geek, you're going to get excited here. So uh, keep it contained. But this is, this is where we get into the Old Testament. And this is beautiful because here in verse 16, we read these food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbath. And in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is filled with physical pictures that point to spiritual realities. Okay, so the Old Testament is filled with physical pictures or physical rites, physical uh, actions that points to spiritual that point to spiritual realities. That you can see this in our text: circumcision, festivals, Sabbath. Of course, this is very obvious as you read the Old Testament. The amount of sacrifices that they had to make in order to deal with their sins: physical pictures of spiritual realities. Now, these we know and we believe these were developed. And then these were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. We're going to watch this happen. We're going to go through some Old Testament. You can geek out with me. We're going to go through some Old, Old Testament. We're going to see how some of these things were, were developed and then fulfilled in Jesus. 
Okay, so we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about circumcision and we're going to talk about festivals. So it's going to get awkward just for a second. Just for a moment, we're going to talk about circumcision. And now this was a physical procedure that happened to the male anatomy. Physical picture, right? So it's a physical procedure on the male anatomy, the male baby. This would happen when he was eight years old. But this was a sign for Abraham's co covenant. That's what this was. Father Abraham, if you're not familiar, he was the patriarch who ended up through his sons, through his bloodline, the entire nation of Israel came. And it was through him that God said that I will bless all nations through you. And so this, when this promise was given to Abraham, he was also given the covenant of circumcision. So this was to remember, I am from the tribe of Abraham. All nations will be blessed through me. That, that, is, the, that is the covenant promise of the circumcision. If you have any more questions about this, Brian would love to answer any questions that you have. So if you'd like to email Brian about, about circumcision, anything that you'd like, um, he'll, he'll field those questions. Uh, I won't be taking any questions. Uh, so the next thing we'll talk about is festivals. And so the festivals, uh, we can see one that's called in here, it's called the New Moon Festival. And these were festivals that were supposed to show different traits of God. This was supposed to tell Israel, the Israelites, remember this about your God. So new moon is mentioned in here. My favorite is Jubilee, the festival of Jubilee. And if you're not familiar, this is why the Old Testament is so good. So every seven sevens, every seven, seven years, there would be 49 years. And the next year, they would celebrate Jubilee. And Jubilee was a festival, festival at the beginning of the year, all servants and all slaves would go free. All debts would be absolved. All borrowed or loaned land would go back to its original owner and nobody would work for a whole year. Some of you guys are like, let's bring back Jubilee. You haven't seen my student debt. Let's bring back, Ju let's bring back Jubilee, right? right? And so I, I'm right there with you. But this is a reminder of God's character is that in God, as we're celebrating this festival of Jubilee, we remember our God, our God is a God of rest. Our God is a God of freedom. That is who Yahweh is. And this was a physical picture that showed the spiritual reality. Our God is a God of rest and of freedom. So we're going to see this develop. I want you to go to the Old Testament with me for a moment. We're going to look at some scripture quickly about circumcision. We're going to look at scripture quickly about these festivals, and then we're going to see how Jesus has fulfilled, how he has completed them with our scripture from today. And so go with me to Deuteronomy 10. It'll be on the screen as well, and this is about circumcision. It says this, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways? to love him and to worship the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul. What more does the Lord ask than to give everything, right? Verse 13, keep the Lord's commands and statutes I am giving you today for your own good. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord had his heart set on your ancestors and loved them. He chose their descendants after them. He chose you out of all peoples as it is today. Right here. Therefore, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer or don't be stubborn any longer. 
he says, circumcise your hearts. Now, re now remember, circumcision isn't, doesn't happen with the hearts. So this is a picture that we can already see is developing and we're expectant for Jesus to fulfill it. Is that our God desires more than this physical rite, this physical ritual. He desires an obedience of the heart. Circumcise our hearts to festivals. We have another Old Testament scripture. Uh, if you're geeking out, we're almost done. I'm sorry, but this is this is Isaiah uh, one, and this is talking about festivals. And you'll notice Yahweh is angry. You will notice that he is angry. This is intense scripture. Read this with me. It says, "Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are all your sacrifices to me?" asks the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires this from you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths, there's those festivals, new moons and Sabbaths and the calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of putting up with them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are covered with blood. You see, y'all, this is intense. Yahweh is, is speaking angrily here. But the nation of Israel, they're doing the festivals. And this is supposed to remind them of who God is. And yet, they are acting in injustice. And they are violent people. And they are selfish. And yet, they still go about these festivals. So God is not content with them checking boxes and acting religious. Instead, God wants an earnest heart, not empty religion. And we see this, we see this in Isaiah. Now, Paul in Colossians, he shows us how this is developed and fulfilled in Jesus. Read 16 and 17 with me again from our scripture. It says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Amen. So all of the, this is the lesson. All of these physical pictures point to Jesus where we receive the perfect spiritual example. So think of circumcision with me. This is supposed to remind God's people, you are of the tribe of Abraham. And now the circumcision of our hearts, the covenant of our heart tells us you are of the beautiful tribe of Jesus. All nations should be blessed through you. Amen. The festival of Jubilee was supposed to teach God's people every 50 years I can receive freedom. There will be end to this misery. There will be end to this work and work but at the 50th year, there will be rest. Jubilee now, these festivals now fully culminated in Jesus, tells us you have freedom right now in Jesus. So we see circumcision, we see festivals. These are fully, these are fully shown, fully displayed in who Jesus is. Paul says the substance 
is Christ. Timothy Keller says this, summarizes this better, better than I ever could. He says, when God decided to send salvation, <clears throat> he didn't send an airtight argument. He sent an airtight person. He didn't send an abstract principle. He sent a human being. He sent Jesus, who was God that looked like us. And this was the salvation that we needed. <coughs> now let's continue. We're almost done here. We're almost finished, and the band will come up, and they'll play, and we'll worship some more. But we'll look at verses 20 through 22. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Now, verse 20, this is some hard truth. We hear Paul, remember, he's reminded us that we live in obedience uh, because Jesus has already saved us. Paul has already reminded this, but then he gets into first, verse 20, and Paul is, Paul is ready to step on our toes. And he says, <clears throat> if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to, to regulations? And this is hard truth. I want us to go back to verse 14. <clears throat> where we read about debt, it says this, he erased the certificate of debt with the obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, when I think of the word, when I think of the word debts, I think of one man and I think of Dave Ramsey. Okay. Now, I don't know how much you've learned from Dave Ramsey, but there was a financial, <clears throat> there was a financial, uh, financial planning class, excuse me, there's a financial planning class when I was in high school that taught us Dave Ramsey. That was the entire financial planning for my high school. It was just Dave Ramsey himself uh, on a screen as we learned uh, financial planning. And right after we took Dave Ramsey, we promptly went and signed up for student loans and, and joined, joined a college. But if there's something about Dave Ramsey, it's that that man hates debt. By baby step two, if you know anything about Dave Ramsey, by baby step two, you are supposed to kill all of your debt. You're supposed to be uh, working against all of your debt except the house, is how he says it, except the house. You're supposed to be working against all of your debt. His point being that as you build wealth and you're not giving it away to others, you can build healthy wealth and live freely and in fact be generous with your money. That when you're not tied to things that you should not be tied to, then you can actually be free, and in that freedom, give generously. That's, that's uh, what he teaches. Now, as we read this hard truth, look at verse 20 again. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live, live as if you still belonged to the world? Now, some of us, <clears throat> some of us have forgotten that our debt has been, has been paid and rather than debt, let's talk about sin for a second. Some of us are still okay. Some of us are, are apathetic towards sin, sin in our own lives. Now, if this debt 
has been paid, why would we ever go back there? Now, I, I, I want to say this softly because I know this can be abrasive. I know that this can be difficult. There's not one of us who hasn't walked in with sin. There isn't one of us who hasn't walked in with our own struggles. Some uh, that are on our minds more specifically than others. And this sin, Jesus wants to take from you. This debt that has you tied down to things that you should not be tied down to, Jesus wants to take this from you. Why would we hold on? So Paul says, if you died with Christ, why do you live? Why do you live tied down to these things? Why do you live as if he hasn't taken this debt away? Church, we, we have to hate sin. We can't be apathetic. We, can't, we cannot be okay with the presence of sin in our own lives, in the lives of our friends, our brothers and sisters. We cannot be, we cannot be fine with this. Sin is what separated us from the God who is not only great, he is also good. Sin is, is what is hurting our brothers and sisters as what is hurting so many people in this world, sin, like what it says in verse 14, sin is what nailed Jesus to a cross. We can't be fine with it. And yet, Jesus, despite our mingling with sin, despite the fact that we still struggle daily against sin, is ready every morning to take that debt away from us. He has taken it. Let him have it. Charles Spurgeon says this better than I could, is that faith knows no shame in the cross. No, actually, we're quite joyful in the cross, right? Faith knows no shame in the cross. It sees no ground for scorn, but it hurls indignant scorn at sin. The enemy that pierced the Lord now, I love this because it's the enemy of the Lord. It's what pierced the Lord. But the enemy did not win. Rather, our, our God, he was pierced by death, tasted death, and has dealt with sin, and yet he rose victorious. Hallelujah. So we follow the one who paid our debt. Now, you may have work to do here. And we've, we've all been here. You may have work to do here today as you sort through the sin that may still be clinging closely to you, the sin that maybe you have let back into your life because you've been following Jesus for a long time and we've rationalized that maybe we can let it back in. You may have work to do here or maybe you need to live in this thankfulness, this reaction, this obedience in who God is.